Tom had a guy, you just reminded me, I thought about it a while. Guy said to me one time, he was my partner, we were playing around. We weren't doing too well. And halfway through the back nine, we're still in it, but, but losing. He pulls out a joint and he looks at me and goes, dude, is it okay if I smoke this? Now, I knew he was a pothead. I'm like, dude, if it's going to make you play better, you smoke that shit now. <laughs> but he wasn't Where smoking the whole time because right, he's afraid no. to offend me. And I'm like, dude, if it helps you play the game, get it on, okay? Um, but don't give it to me. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne, senior writer at the Golfer's Journal. Today, a very special episode of the Golfer's Journal podcast. Um, I used to love when they would say that, like whenever they talked about booze or drugs on um, Facts of Life or Family Ties, I remember that one. It was a very special episode. Which I guess will be it's probably will be the closest a, time I ever come to a cl- after school special. <laughs> we are, I believe. I believe the line was, "I hit Alex." <laughs> <laughs> after he was pounding the vanilla extract, uh, yeah, the, drinking uh, the vanilla extract in the kitchen. Good times. <laughs> good times. Tom Hanks. He's gone on to do bigger things. In any event, we should get to what we're talking about today. That's not a bad segue though, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about booze and whatnot. In Golfer's Journal 14, uh, I had a story in there called The Lucky Ones, and we wanted to do something about it on the podcast for any number of reasons. It's definitely a story that I've gotten more feedback from uh, readers than anything I've done in the Golfer's Journal before, probably anything that I've done in anywhere, period. Um, Got a lot of very positive email feedback on social media, a lot of meaningful messages as well. Uh, People with questions about the story, uh, about my life, about the changes that have happened in my life. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that story and talk to some of the generous, kind folks who joined me in that story, who were part of the lucky ones, who's, if you've read that feature, you will have heard the stories of these two folks, uh, one Marty and Stan. Are we using... What are we doing with Marty and Stan today? Marty's uh, dead. We, Marty's dead? We killed Marty. Marty's out. All right. So are yeah. we going to use her? You guys want to use your real names? So I announce myself at this point? Why don't you introduce yourselves for crying out loud? Good, Stan. <laughs> hey, uh, it's uh, it's Tom's friend, uh, Garth, from uh, Philadelphia and uh, previous uh, Golfer's Journal podcasts and, uh, and uh, the Dow of Garth, I guess, too. You are no rookie. No... Um, <laughs> No podcast version. Have you been on here before, Marty, a.k.a.? Brendan. Hey, Brendan. Brendan. Yes, I have. I was in the Masters. uh, That's right. The Buddies Trip. Yeah. Yeah. So when the story, I used other names, uh, anonymous names for, you know, to to protect the innocent. Why did you guys, we we talked about this. Why were you willing to um, use your your real names here? Well, hell, I used my real name on it, on the story. And the story, if people haven't read it, is about our journey through our addiction and recovery uh, and the role that golf's played in it. Yeah, I'll answer for myself. You know, it comes down to, there's obviously sensitivities and, you know, even thinking about the article, you know, I admitted to some behavior, you know, albeit it was over 10 years ago, but, you know, behavior that I'm not proud of. Um, you know, some, some pretty horrible things I was doing the way I was living my life. Um, but at the end of the day, and, and I, you know, I don't want to speak for Brendan or, or even for you, Tom, but I think you guys would agree with me that the most important thing I can do with my recovery 
is use it to try and help other people, especially those people that are still out there drinking and we're using drugs or, you know, whatever their twist is. And for me, you know, uh, the, the stigma behind my drinking, the stigma behind alcoholism or drug addiction and, and my lack of knowledge of what it was and what I was experiencing and this idea that it was just, you know, I was a bad person of poor, weak moral fiber, I think kept me from getting help a lot sooner, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, that I had a, a disease, you know, that affects a lot of people. And, you know, I've had some people reach out to me, Tom, and we've talked about some of the other things I've, I've, uh, you know, spoken with you about that's, that's been in the journal, whether if it's stuff around, uh, you know, will and, and stuff like that. But, you know, if, if there's an opportunity for somebody, even one person to reach out to me to, to ask some questions about getting some help, um, then it's worth, you know, letting, letting people know who I am and, and try and, you know, break that stigma down. You know, uh, I, I don't need to be ashamed that I have a disease, you know? Right. How about you, Marty? Ditto. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> Marty on, it says Marty on the, uh, on the on the uh, on our platform, it. it's gonna stick. Um, yeah, actually, I learned from watching you guys and how you are with uh, being open about your journey, and um, you know, put a lot of thought into it. And I really am at the point now, have been for some time, and I really don't care if uh, people know I'm uh, in recovery. Like Gar said, if it helps somebody else, that's the bigger benefit for it. And you've and, been um, you've been doing this forever. You know, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, you're, well, we're the same age. Uh, Garth's a little bit younger. We have some, Garth and I've, Garth, you have a little more sober time than me. Brendan, you came out of the womb sober. What? I mean, how <laughs> I, many years? I remember you? the moment where I, it hit me. I was, we we're sitting at that, uh, that barbecue joint down in, uh, Georgia. And I yeah. looked around and I realized that I, not only now am I, I was older, slightly older than Tom. I'm the oldest guy at the table. And I had 28 years of sobriety, 27 at the time, <laughs> and was like, oh, my God, I am the old head here. Yeah, yeah, you Growing are. up the youngest everywhere I went, it was like this paradigm shift in my brain. Yeah. You guys are got- laughing and joking, and I'm sitting there like have, going into a cold sweat, like, oh, my God, I'm all going up. You know, and, and I think it's fascinating. I think it's important like to get that out there that there's no – like there's no right or wrong time too. If you think about it, you know, Brendan, I believe you got you got sober the summer after you graduated high school, right? Yeah, yes. Ish. Yeah, right after. Right and, after that that summer. Oof. And for other reasons, you know, I was I was straight edge in high school. I never got I never got drunk for the first time until freshman year of college. You know, so like it's it's kinda like opposite end of the spectrum that, you know, you had already you were already done by the time. I already flamed out. <laughs> right. Right. And like I, I hadn't even put my toes in the water yet, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, but look I I've listened to your story a number of times and you took it further than I went, pal. <laughs> I I I saw the writing on the wall a lot quicker than you did. I mean Mr. Jin under his bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brendan did 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 duck out duck out earlier than than Garth and I decided to. I guess I held on. That was the oldest of us to get to get sober, I guess. But in any event, a lot of people have reached out and talking about the story, are very appreciative and have said thank you for having the courage to tell the story and and to write your story and, and the courage that you guys had as well to share your story, and which and which has been wonderful to hear. But I felt a little bit weird about that um i don't know why and I, and maybe you can help me by someone telling me like oh you're being so brave it kind of strikes me funny like again thank you for saying that but 
I don't know if it's courage or, or bravery because I, f- I feel like if, if I say I'm brave and talking about the fact that I don't, I can't drink successfully anymore, then I'm sort of saying that I need to be um, ashamed of that. And, and for some reason in 2020, I'm not, um, I don't know. It takes me to like that stigma and the, the, God, it almost reminds me of like being afraid of doing things or saying things because of the judgment of others and what the world thinks of, you know, people who don't drink, particularly in the golf world. I mean, in the stories about the, the country clubs and, and how drinking is such a huge part of it. And we're running counter to that. Um, we are. But I get it. Yeah. I don't think it's really a brave thing. It's kind of feel like nowadays I feel like it's um, duty, obligation, requirement of helping others by letting them know you will you're sober yeah yeah yeah. what do you say garth uh yeah i mean i think it's i mean what again this comes back to maybe the first thing we talked about this but you know it's it's about trying to be part of uh you know like a almost like a cultural progression you know like alcoholism and drug addiction is something that's been it's not new you know it's been going on since you know uh the first the first jug of wine that sat around for too long, probably, you know, and, uh, you know, but it's always been something and I, and I can't speak for anybody else's families or whatnot, but, you know, I think even in the past hundred years, you don't talk about things like this, you know, how many people are out there that, you know, there's an uncle, you know, or there was a grandparent and, and the old drunk died, uncle. right. You know, or, or somebody that died as a result of this disease and it, you know, it was like, Oh no, he, he choked on a ham sandwich, you know, like, no, he didn't, you know, like his liver blew up, but, um, you know, I think it's just where we all for me uh, too many ham sandwiches. <laughs> it's, always the, it's always the ham sandwich, right? It's always the Damn ham sandwich. Sandwiches. But um, I understand, like, it's that one thing. Like, well, I don't want you to call me brave. You know, I just, I just did this thing. You know, and I was blessed to to have a thing. I think part of the bravery is, you know, speaking from my own experience, at the moment, I guess maybe you know when I decided to to finally reach out and ask for help. I mean, maybe that's a a sense of bravery because I knew something had to change, and I was just so scared. Right. I was so scared. So taking any action. Uh, and I think that's true of anybody that kind of gets into recovery. Right. Taking that action, whatever it might be, there there is a, a definite moment of, of absolute fear and terror and, and needing you know some some courage to, to move on and do that. But my experience was kind of right after that, after I asked for help, I felt like I was carried by people, you know, and that's that's the whole thing. Maybe that's why I feel bad saying I was brave. Like I wasn't brave. I was fortunate that all these people and, and all this help in this community and, you know, medical professionals and all types of people that really, um, carried me until I started to get better a little bit, you know, maybe that's where I feel guilty saying that I was brave. I wasn't brave. I was fortunate, you know, I was blessed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that's, that's the same thing here as well. I, I don't feel like if, if there was a moment of like, where you should I, I showed any courage but i don't even think it was me you know that that moment where you say all right i need need some help after that it was it was just tons of relief right i wanted to yeah. tell people yeah, like totally. yo i don't do this anymore i couldn't do it look at the lie i've been living and 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 that so that to me wasn't like an act of an extraordinary act it was almost like it was a little bit selfish like i got it off my chest and felt great um but in any event, I, I appreciate everyone that's that's reached out and, and, and shared all the support. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, in 2020, we don't have to, you know, 50 years ago, there was so much sort of shame and stigma, maybe even 30, maybe less, you know, uh, around addiction and misunderstanding 
that uh, even talking about it was, um, or admitting to it, was a real act of courage. But I think we're pretty lucky to kind of grow up in, or to be recovering in the world that we are now, where I don't feel like writing this story. Well, for me, I've been out there with my deal for a while now. So it wasn't writing about the league uh, and, and, and golf and sobriety wasn't something that I was uncomfortable with. Of course, I had to get y'all in the league to say, hey, that sounds okay. That's a good idea, which I'm glad that you guys did, that, that we took a, you know, that I asked folks, you guys included, um, how you would feel about me going public with this sober golf league that it existed. And I appreciate that you guys did that because I hope we are helping some people. I've heard from at least a half dozen guys who want to um, start, and I say guys because they have been men, but they could be women too, just to start these kinds of organizations. Um, but who want to start these leagues in other places? Um, they've talked with Jim, our chairperson, and from the story, he's been in touch with them, and and it sounds like they some groups of sober guys have already been getting together to play golf and uh, in other states far away. So that's pretty sweet. Um, sounds you know, like we got a coast to coast match coming up. I would. Wouldn't it be cool, man, if we had? Um, yeah. All these other sections. We were saying we need to get. There's plenty of drunks in New York. We need to get um, a good Long Island league going so we could match up and right go play. You know what I mean? And go like an, instead of a coin cup, we'd call it the coffee cup. Oh, Ooh, dude. wow, <laughs> dude! You better you better, you better um, brand that or copyright that real quick before this That's podcast good. goes live. That's good. Let's take it. Let's talk about golf a little bit, though. You'd mentioned before. That, Brandon, this connection between golf and booze, where do you think that comes from? I mean, there aren't, I can't, I was thinking about this. I can't think of any other sports where you're like, oh, I'm going to go play tennis or I'm going to go shoot some hoops or go mountain biking or whatever. And I'm going to, and I'm kind of worried that I might get a DUI on the way home. You know, like, are there? I, I don't think of other pastimes where not just maybe having a cocktail, but like getting like loaded for a lot of people, certainly was for me, um, was essential to the experience. Um, yeah. where does that come from? Like, and why, why is golf that way? And other sports aren't my, the guy, the, the, the little devil on my shoulder is answering that. Like my friends used to tease me because golf's not a sport. There you go. <laughs> you can play it. It's not a sport. You can go get <laughs> drunk and play. It's not a sport. Um, I don't know. I mean, so golf darts pool. I bowling. think back to like the, the golf yeah. in the kingdom, you know, reading that and all the whiskey and, yeah. And all the uh, old stories is uh, Scottish golf and staying warm with booze. I yeah, know. certainly maybe romanticized that, but, that way. Yeah, maybe it's um, because we're all fighting a case of the yips. Yeah, maybe golf's too hard, right? It's just it hard. easier. We wouldn't. We wouldn't need. What do you think, Garth? Why is why are golf and booze such um, such bedfe- bedfellows? You know, I it's weird for me. And it's weird because you took up the game sober after. Yeah, after oh, I got sober. Right. I, would do I was, that. I was like yeah. three, three and a half years sober before I uh, started playing golf. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a there's a socialism and a camaraderie, and you know, I think it's it's also kind of like it's kind of like anything else, right? Where you will get like you know, I play I play golf with a lot of different guys at my club that that aren't sober, you know. And they're not drinking while we're playing, right? And it's not that they, you know, are afraid to drink around me or anything. Far from it. You know, it's just they choose not to drink while they play golf because, you know, because it is a sport, right? Because they do want to have their their faculties about them 
to the best of their ability or maybe one beer at the turn, but it's like anything else. I mean, if, if I want to go find a group of people that, you know, get, get loaded during a book club, you know, like I could go find that or, or people that get loaded doing anything, you know, who doesn't um, get loaded at book clubs. I really would. Right. I had to give, I had to give my club has a book problem. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can golf again, but I can't ever go back to the book club. Uh, yeah. It's if you're, if you're, you can turn anything into. I certainly was able to, to turn any activity. Yeah, there was no activity I did that didn't involve drinking when I was drinking. I think there's also it's interesting the legacy of country clubs and how they sort of came about, how golf became attached to country clubs in America. I mean that history is kind of interesting. Going back to prohibition, I mean there was a big, there was a. a uh, a spike in in golf clubs and golf club membership around the time of prohibition um written about in the golfer's journal by will bardwell in his story about the 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 clubs along the canadian border which i i played when i was doing a course called america um where golf facilitated drinking um you could join a club and because it was private you know they'd have a you could drink in the back so that was one way i think that that sort of golf and, and drinking came together but even before that you know that that golf was a clubby sport that it was or a clubby game that it involved other things beyond the game itself etiquette uh social interaction um the before and the after uh things like that so yeah drinking becomes part of it um do you feel do you ever feel awkward not being a part of that anymore or garth not ever having been a part of it but does it is it ever weird like cuz i've gotten that question from that's the question everybody has when they email me. Like, how do you still exist in this like golf country club or golf club world as a sober person? I find the people who are most curious about that, I found are the ones who may have, I can't tell you whether they have a problem or not, who may have a problem. And they're just so fascinated by the idea that somebody can live their life without drinking. Yeah. What were you yeah. going to say, Jay? No, I was, you know, a couple thoughts. One is kind of along the lines of what Brennan just mentioned about, you know, there's a lot of people that, that aren't drinking or don't care. And when I, you know, I first got sober, not even golf, but just in life in general, I was so concerned what everybody thought about me not drinking. And it turns out nobody was thinking about me in the first place. You know, nobody cares, you know, and that was, you know, one of the first things I, you know, somebody told me when, when I got sober, you know, when I went to a party or in a function or event, you know, they said, just get a, get a, a seltzer or a Sprite or something when put a lime slice on it. And nobody's even going to ask what you're drinking or why you're not drinking, you know, and, and I've found that same thing within, within golf. Like I said, you know, I play with a bunch of guys at my club and some of them know I'm sober and some of them don't just maybe because it hasn't come up, but you know, we go into the clubhouse afterwards and you know, why are you drinking a club soda? Well, maybe it's because I'm going home to take care of my, you know, one-year-old son, you know, or maybe, uh, you know, I got something else I'm doing and, and it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And, you know, one thing I want to make sure that we covered in, in this is, there's nothing wrong with, in my, in my opinion, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with having, you know, a few drinks while you're playing golf, you know, or having a, having a beer or drink you know, at the 19th hole. And I think that's really important too, because the last thing I want, I want anybody to come out of this podcast or the article thinking is that, you know, I'm some kind of teetotaler that thinks alcohol is horrible and should be banned. You know, right. I don't believe that at all. It's very horrible for me, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> that, that I know for certain, but for other folks, it can be a, a very normal 
part of socializing and in, in, in general social interactions and, and good on you, you know? Yeah. I'm um, glad you brought that up, Garth. Cause yeah, we don't want to come off as like as teetotalers or as, as, as swearing off. It's just, you know, we realize it doesn't work. For, it's not, we can't us. do it well anymore. And that's, that's, that's an interesting thing though. Like, cause I want to talk about that too, how people react to you when they find out you're sober, not just like they say, how do you do it? But like, sometimes you get that vibe where they're nervous to have a drink around you or something, or like, is this okay? Stuff like that. I'm like, dude, is it okay? You know, I, I used to have that for breakfast. Yeah, it's okay. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right. give me a break. Like, I'm like, it's so weird to see alcohol. Like that was, that was like existence. Um, so yeah, it's okay. And, totally. Yeah, you know, and I, I appreciate I that actually, people will say I actually that, had a guy, Tom, I had a guy, you just reminded me, I thought about it a while, guy said to me one time, he was my partner, we were playing around, we weren't doing too well, and halfway through the back nine, we're still in it, but, but losing, he pulls out a joint, and he looks at me and goes, dude, is it okay if I smoke this? Now, I knew he was a pothead. I'm like, dude, if it's going to make you play better, you smoke that shit now. <laughs> <laughs> But he wasn't Where smoking the whole time because right, he's afraid no. to offend me. And I'm like, dude, if it helps you play the game, get it on, okay? I'm, I, but don't give it to me. So did you guys win? <laughs> no, nah, we still lost. You probably got a little better. But he, I mean, yeah. He felt a lot better about himself. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he didn't yeah. care that he lost anymore. He, he didn't right? care anymore. The only um, people I've, that I've ever felt bad for about not drinking with was, you know, Tom, I spent, I spent a week with you in Scotland. And, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to all these clubs and you, you know, you kind of became public about your, your recovery in the Scotland book when it published. So when you're writing it, it still wasn't out there. And, you know, we're, we're bouncing on all these clubs up in the Highlands and all anybody knows is here's this guy that drank his way around Ireland. I can't wait for him to show up to my club and, uh, you know, start drinking whiskey with me at 10 in the morning and having right. to watch you repeatedly, politely tell people that like, no, I'm good. You know, some of those guys, I think people were really excited to, to have a drink with, with the, the author that, you know, <laughs> yeah. drank his way around Ireland. <laughs> and we're sitting there drinking our seltzers. We're like, yeah, no, we're good. Thanks. <laughs> I'm and Garth, I'm also Garth, glad. I think this <laughs> Garth, I think the story was uh the story was out by the time I was in Scotland with Tom because we went to um uh the Dun uh, Dun Vegan and um no one uh, no one asked Tom to drink. We all sat there politely and no one was asked Tom to drink. <laughs> yeah, the thankfully it's 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 a funny thing. And I think uh or I mention it in the book, like people be like, Oh man, I loved your Scotland book, let's do a shot and I'm like, Oh man, you didn't <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't really didn't really make it I've to page there. fifty. I've been there with that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can be what reading. happened to Robert? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like uh that Robert, he's great. Let's party with him, man. Um it it can get a little awkward. Um but yeah, that way you know who's who's maybe really really read the book. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because for people who are thinking about traveling and, and wondering like, yeah, going and playing the links of Scotland or Ireland, um, it was really weird for me. I mean, I wrote a book about golf in Ireland that had a, an empty pint on the cover. And that was another thing where I was like, I can't ever get, I can't stop drinking because like the whole world expects me, expects me to drink. My ego thinking the whole world has, has read that book. I remember the first time going back to Ireland. Um, that was, that was, a, that was challenging, you know, as is everything you do for the first time sober after you're used to doing it otherwise is challenging. But, you know, after getting through the first time and then realizing like, Oh, instead of like going to the pub, Hey, which if the pubs are great, like have, have go have a blast. And I still, and you know, both of you have been with me abroad where we've gone to the pub for 
for dinner or to hang out or whatever. And it's actually kind of one of the things I really like about culture, the drinking culture over there um, versus America, where if you're going to a, like a bar in America, you're probably you're going to drink. If you're going to a pub in Ireland or Scotland, sure, most people will be drinking, but there'll be people that won't be, um, especially because their drunk driving laws are so are so strict. Um, but there's a social element as, to it as well, where if you go up and order a soda or or a or a ginger beer, which became my go-to drink, nobody's going to look at you sideways in Scotland. Right. Um, in fact, per ounce, the ginger beer will be more expensive than like the Guinness in Ireland. So, you know, like it's sometimes I remember like I'd go to a bar in America and they'd give you like a free, oh, if you want a soda? Oh, it's free. Here you go. You know, um, and you feel like just lame, like you're taking somebody's seat. But, you know, I never, I don't get that feeling in Scotland and Ireland. So I'm ironic. I'm strangely, I'm very comfortable over there being sober. And I go, and you guys know this too, that instead of getting a few in me around lunch and then, you know, the day kind of drags on is, is a little foggy or whatever. You know, I'm back out on the golf course. I'm playing 36 a day when I'm traveling. Um, and how awesome is that? You know, I've gotten to see play so much more golf, see so many more places because of that. And like you were talking about, Garth, being in Scotland um, after the Ireland book, I guess we talk, I guess this is in the Scotland book, but when they offer us the, when we go to steak night and like we, we don't want the wine with our, um, with our dinner. <laughs> That was that was awesome. <laughs> they could give us could they give us like mineral water instead of wine and they were like refusing absolutely not. We'd have to pay extra to like give away the wine and yeah. get uh get bubbly water instead. Our steaks came with a bottle of wine. There was a special tonight and like can I get a just get a you know instead get a bottle of water like no, you must get the wine. <laughs> I'm like, "All right, bring me the wine. I'm going to go pour it out in the garden." Going getting back to like how do you operate at your golf club? There's some definite bonuses. I mean, there's definitely like some things where I feel like, okay, we had like member guests and there were like 14 rain delays and we're sitting around yeah. and you're like, okay. And like, this isn't really bothering anyone else because this is when they, you get your drink on. Um, right. But here, like, I'm a little bored. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, you can start to feel a little like bad for yourself there. But in the grand scheme, it's a pretty small sacrifice to not have to deal with the shit I used to deal with. And the other thing that, wasn't was never experienced for me for you know taking up golf after after getting sober but i think it's you know what i've seen in, in other people especially you know certain rounds when I've, I've you know been paired up with other guys but like the the whole experience i get with golf by not drinking especially the way i, I was drinking like i don't i don't have hangovers like that's not that's not an issue and like you know, when I was, especially when I was really first starting out my first couple of years and I was, I was playing at some really nice, you know, some, some really cool clubs, uh, of, of family members. And like, I, you know, golf wasn't just a four hour golf experience for me. There was almost like the, the 12 or 16 hours beforehand, right. And the anticipation and not being able to sleep because I was, I knew I was going out to play this really cool course the next day and I'd wake up and I'd be excited and, and bright eyed and, you know, couldn't wait to go out and shoot up. 124 or whatever it was on that course but the the drive out and the anticipation the excitement and that was just as much a part of the enjoyment as you know the golf itself and when i've seen other guys that at least you know even if i just think back to to what a morning used to be like for me when i was drinking you know there was there was none of that no no focus on any excitement or anticipation or anything good that was about to happening it was how horrible i feel what did I do last night? Who do I owe an apology to? And what do I have to do or get my hands on to try to feel a little bit better right now? Yeah. 
and, and I don't have that experience. And, and I, I don't, I think maybe you guys probably did during your golfing careers at some point, maybe you could touch on that, but I'm, I'm pretty grateful that that's, you know, one of the aspects that I have with golf. Well, I that's was 18 sweet. when I got sober, so that didn't, um, play into my golfing all that much, but I can't imagine today when I see guys getting in the condition I would used to get in, you know, functioning for the rest of the day, let alone the 18 holes or maybe even 36 that I was playing. Um, it, it just boggles my, I, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know, and then having a family and a great family and great wife and all those things. And like, so I get to play golf, maybe have lunch and then go have a rest of a productive day doing other stuff, hanging out with the kids, whatever I got to do with no consequences. That is jumping on podcasts. Jump, yeah, I can yeah, jump on jump a podcast on podcasts. before because I'm not bombed. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, that exactly. is a bonus. The early golf, you know, I get up early. I'm, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for this way of life, but playing early and getting home early and actually having a full Saturday is, is certainly one of them. Yeah, since you guys weren't able to experience the joys of uh, forgetting rounds of golf and burning opportunities at great places because you were too too shit faced, uh, <laughs> I can talk a little bit to that. Uh, Please yeah. that was certainly part of part of my story. Um, no, but actually, that's how you know the the lucky ones opens is is me. So where I was asked to be the uh, a keynote speaker at a at a corporate event out at out in monterey and was playing one of those monterey courses um and sort of blacking out between between uh between holes between shots um it was a it was a it was a bad scene man and and scary really because i it wasn't i wasn't really used to being like that and uh and yeah it was pretty wild i'll, I'll never forget turning to my caddy and saying what am i lying and him looking at me and going one um, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm box. I thought this is the green. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> I'm lying one. I'm like six feet from the hole. I have no idea how my ball got there. Um, I made the putt. Like, that's another golf. Another reason oh people God. play and drink is because golf can be enabling that way. Like, you can sometimes kind of get your get get your way through yeah. it and not learn your <laughs> learn your lesson. Um, but yeah, there were plenty of times and plenty of rounds where I mean, there was a trip to Ireland that is very, very, very foggy, um, and and plenty of wonderful places that I got to play that those memories aren't the best because I was just trying to keep my shit together through it. You know, I wasn't really didn't really care how I played and didn't really care about the architecture or any of the history or whatever. Uh, I was just trying not to embarrass myself because I was in a state. Um, and man, what a relief! I don't have to do that anymore. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So speaking of states you're in or mindsets, what was, and I don't think we ever, I ever really got into this with you. What was your mindset? And it's mentioned in the article that first uh, league end of year you were in the first time I met you. Yeah. How was I? I was like, yeah, like I was doing great. I, don't think we, um, I was yeah. pretty freaked out. You didn't look great. <laughs> I know. No, I was, that was like one of my first times coming back to golf. Like when I got invited to come to this, Garth and I had both heard of, about this league. Garth, you, you have really good friends who are in it. Um, and I'd, I'd heard about it through the grapevine, as they say. And um, going to that first 
event. So in the league, we have like in in the beginning of the year, we have a steak dinner in March to like kick things off and set up the matches and and, and get all the teams sorted and um, you know lay out the rules and plan everything for that upcoming season. Then we play one match a month. Better ball guards my partner, and we play five. Well, we play five, right? Yeah, five. five matches, and then you have playoffs in the fall. And then at the end of the year, what's really cool is we have the, the end of year celebration where hopefully the final match is played and we have like, we go somewhere where we can all stay and have an overnight, um, whatever clubs in the Philadelphia area have, you know, accommodation and, you know, play 36 and steak dinners and all that good stuff. So that was going to that event. And that event, we invite like outside folks or guys who might want to join or, or newly sober or whatever. Um, come to that so that was my first introduction to the league that's where i met you brendan and you do like to remind me of how awesome i looked at that event i didn't feel great but i did feel a whole hell of a lot better when i left the event you know than when i got there um there's this great realization and i hope that comes through in the story that all these people they're they're normal that they're they're not the only thing that they're that's not normal about them is that they don't drink just like you um, that they have productive lives. They have been successful in different endeavors. They have families. Um, they're, they're, they're dudes and, and they're fun and they're, and they're enjoying life and they're funny. Um, so seeing that just, it just looked like the golf that I'd been used to my whole life. The only difference was, you know, there wasn't vodka in the club sodas. It was just club soda. And the league is like, it made me realize when we, what is it? 20 years old now. I remember first yeah. playing it is, wow, I can play golf at these different courses with people and then not be focused on drinking like a lot of the golf is focused on my you know my home course, like every tournament. The first tournament I ever signed up for at my home course, I got a call from a cousin who's a member there and said, why did you sign up for that tournament? I'm like, well, I'm trying to meet people. And he goes, out of all the tournaments you could sign up for, that's not the one. And then I get out there and there's like a bar on every tee and right. three holes into it, everybody's shit-faced. And I'm the only sober guy. Like this is awful. But the <laughs> league changed it. It was bad. Yeah. The league changed it into I can go out here and have fun and laugh and joke, and just like a normal person. But the only difference is we're not drinking. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah, there were probably a, f- a few events I would steer away from. But yeah, if I if I feel uncomfortable, I do this crazy, crazy thing. Um, I leave. It's it's nuts. <laughs> like it's crazy. So what would you say to folks who have reached out and like I said there've been a fair number and I've asked about I think I might I think I might have an issue. I think I might want to quit drinking. I think the, the the article sort of showed me I could golf and not drink. So now I'm thinking about not drinking. Like you said before though Garth, like please don't take anything that we've said as this admonishment of like sobriety is the must or you cannot drink if you want to be a great golfer and have fun. You're, you're living your life the wrong way, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think all of us, we, we love the fact we'd love it if we could drink like normal people. Um, we just had to accept it. Like a, if I could drink a normal person, I'd be drunk all day long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn it. There's the exactly. rub. Damn it. <laughs> So right, if that makes sense to you, then maybe right. you <laughs> that should come join our league. <laughs> <laughs> it makes total sense to me. What would you say to folks who are like listening or wondering, I should, maybe I want to stop. Should I stop? How do I stop? First question I would ask is, well, where are you a member? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and that would dictate how much help I can give you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there. No, you're fine. You're fine. No. Um, um, that's tough because a lot of people have different opinions on that. I would say it let's is. talk. Let's just have a conversation and see where it goes. I mean, give me a call. Right. Because yeah, I mean, it's so hard to just say, "Oh, check this box." If you check this box, you have a problem. I would say, though, if you think you have a problem, then we should have a conversation, definitely. And that's... Because it's caused you some kind of discord, discord in your life that you're thinking right. is a problem. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I, I mean, that's why we're, that's why I'm telling you that, that I'm Garth, you know, and that's Brendan, you know, I mean, literally if, if anybody listens to podcasts and they want to talk to me about it, you can, you can find me on, you know, Twitter, or, you know, Instagram or whatever, there's ways to, to get me a message and, and, you know, let's literally just have a conversation, a judgment free conversation, which is really me just being honest with, you know, here's kind of what happened with me and what I did. Um, but even if it's not reaching out to, to Tom or Brendan or Garth, uh, you know, there's a lot of different people that are available that you can talk to. You know, there are there are professionals. You know, I, I work in the uh, in the drug and alcohol treatment industry now. Um, you know, and and you know, has helped uh, helped get a, 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 a an organization started that we we help people get treatment. Um, you know, there you know any medical professional, you can talk to your your general you know practitioner. You know, there there are therapists. Um, there are amazing community organizations out there. You know, there are the the twelve step programs that, that that have been around for a long time. There's a number of twelve step programs, and there's there's normally websites in almost every city where you can find, you know, other people. That uh, it's been my experience that that all those people in, in all those different uh, areas or communities are always eager and welcome to to just have a conversation. You yeah, know? if you're a religion, religious person, you're minister Absolutely. or anything, you know, there's so many opportunities to talk to somebody today that may not have been available in the past. Yeah. That I would say start there. Talk to somebody. Reach out. Drop us a note for sure. Yeah, and it's been cool to, that a lot of people have. And, you know, for me, it was really obvious that, you know, I, I, I can't be doing this anymore. I suppose if I had to say there was a line – it was when I started to drink, not to feel good, but so that I didn't feel like shit, you know, and, and that, you know, where I wasn't drinking to augment, like make the good times better. It was like to keep the shitty times away um, and the shitty feelings away as well, the physically, actually. You know, there's a, there's a common analogy around, too, around, you know, uh, saying about being allergic to strawberries, right? And, and if I'm allergic to strawberries, it's very easy for me to just not eat strawberries, right? Or, or common people that are allergic to strawberries just don't eat a strawberry. Um, nah, never mind. Casey, yeah, cut that. I'm not that I'm giving Casey. No, no, no. Where you were no, talking about, I'm thinking I, I'm not allergic to ice cream, but I can't keep my hands off the ice no, cream. No, no, no. <laughs> not that I'm trying to tell Casey what to do, but yeah, Casey. Yeah, who are you telling Casey? I Casey, know. cut that, damn it. Um, um, I wanted to extend on something, Tom, though, and I would say there's a lot of people probably reading the journal or maybe listening to this podcast that they don't have a problem, but somebody they know they're concerned about and they can reach out to because we know that families and loved ones often suffer as much as the person struggling and they don't know what to do either. And those people feel free to track me down call me or any any of these guys are the same advice to reach out to somebody because I know my family one of the reasons I came in when I was younger is they 
they knew about all those resources and they implemented them a couple years before I finally chose not to drink. They had been working behind the scenes, kind of corralling me down a path, hoping I would take the right choice when the, when the moment came. So, and it saved a lot of time and energy and, and hurt, not just for me, but for them by doing certain interventions, I'll use that word, word loosely, that helped me see the light earlier. Yeah. So I would say anybody listening who might be concerned about somebody they know, reach out also, because there are things you can do to help that person maybe, maybe can't guarantee, but see the light earlier. Lots of hope out there. And that was the, you know, hopefully what the story ultimately was about. Because, you know, hey, who knows where we'll be tomorrow, but look at where we are today. What are you most grateful for? So, <laughs> yeah, no, for me, it's, it's two things, right? There's still, it's funny, it's been, you know, it's been a little over 10 years. And, uh, you know, we talked in, in the article you wrote about, you know, that glass of gin under the bed. And uh, there is a part of me that still to this day, 10 years later, when I wake up and realize that, like, I didn't. I didn't drink in the middle of the night, which means I don't have to drink today. And that's, that's still something I'm, I'm truly grateful for on a daily basis, just because of, of the way I was living. And, you know, like you said, Tom, like I wasn't drinking cause I wanted to, or I wanted to feel good. It was, it was something I absolutely had to do with, with no choice in the matter. But you know, what I'm, what I'm most grateful for that recovery has given me hands down without a doubt is relationships, you know, is relationships, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I tell you guys regularly, like, I love you guys, you know, like, I'm, I'm a grown man. And I can say that I have other men in my life that, that I care about, that, that I respect, that I learn from, that hold me accountable. You know, you guys, you know, I've mentioned before about my wife and, you know, how nuts I am about my wife. And, and I say this all the time, the relationship I have with my wife wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't learned how to have, you know, a relationship with other men that I, that I found in recovery. You know, and then, and then that continues to grow now being a father and, and, uh, you know, being able to show up for my family and my friends and, and just, you know, without a doubt, the relationships, relationships are not something I was interested in when I was drinking, you know, it's just all about what can I get from you, you know? Exactly. And that's where, I mean, golf is question. Been, it is a tough question. What about you, Marty? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm the thing I'm most grateful for is that I don't have to suffer as a result of drinking or drugs today like I used to. Yeah. And what are the opportunities it gives me for a, a real life? I'm also, I mean, the miracles in my life are amazing. The day I came in, I was 5'5", five five and I grew two inches in that 28 years. I'm 5'7 <laughs> today. I am 5'7". I don't care what anybody else says. My medical records say that. And and yeah. I would, but no, seriously, I would agree with Garth. Relation Relationships are a huge thing. And Gar said it earlier that, you know, he's not a bad person. It just happens to be a bad golfer. But I love him. <laughs> it is definitely- from the editors of the Golfers Journal, I believe one of one of golf's uh, one of golf's uh, worst players. Yeah, yeah. That, that I just know that I'm going to be getting schooled about my height coming up soon, and I'm prepping for that. I didn't have anything to do with that headline, and um, I also. I'm suspicious of the day you went to the doctor's office uh, with your boots on, uh, Brendan. But in any event, it's all about the relationships, right? And and that's why it's been where at one point alcohol was the thing that made me feel like I could never golf again. Golf is now central to my sobriety. Like I have to get out and play to f- with you guys. 
and to like to feel like myself and and just to feel to remind myself of all the things that I have to be grateful for and, and how good and beautiful life is and and when I'm away from when I'm away from that I can actually feel a little squirrely so hey maybe I've traded one addiction for another but um you know golf is uh it, it's funny how it's turned from like this thing I can't imagine ever doing that as a sober person to um you know the thing that I probably do the most as as a sober person and I feel better every time I play with you too Tom Thanks man Brendan, have you have you ever been on the 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 winning team? Have you ever hoisted the uh, uh, the trophy for our, for the league? Yeah, no, Garth. My ha- yeah, it's good to my bring that up. Garth. Too low. Garth. My handicap is too low. Tom, we could we have pictures we could probably actually put you know with the podcast of uh, you and I triumphantly hoisting the the trophies. Oh, uh, that would be good. Uh, art. First year, yeah. I don't know if Kojo will go for it, but. Uh, us hoisting the trophy after our first year, which Brendan in all his many, many years has never hoisted because as he tells you folks, he's just too good at golf to win. Uh, no, I just refused to sandbag. <laughs> hey, I, my, uh, <laughs> I had a low handicap back then. Um, Garth, you Garth, still have a low. Garth yeah. And you've, you've played enough golf with me to know that there's no sandbagging to it. It's just, you know, broken, broken watches, right? If anything, Garth, you're too honest. Gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for being a part of this. Um, shout out to all our sponsors and friends, sponsors from the pages of the golfer's journal. That's Titleist, Scotty Cameron, Link Soul, Oakley, New York private bank and trust and links and Kings, all Titleist players in the house here. All right, guys. Thanks for being a part of this. Thanks so much for recording yourselves and offering your stories to the listeners and to the readers. I know it's meant a lot to a lot of people um, and meant a lot to me. So very much appreciated. Talk to you next time, everyone, on the Golfers Journal Podcast. Thanks for joining us.